0: Jackie Mitchell. Good to have your company today. We have a jam-packed show talking about being a leader in your field and the topic of leadership. And if you ever thought about writing a business book, today is the day you need to listen very carefully we are talking to a publisher and an author uh, so this will all add to your leadership toolkit we also have uh, corporate psychologists on we have a huge amount of guests all leaders and experts in their field. And today we focus on people, not technology. Technology is always talked about in business. So I thought it was about time we get back to the human side of it. Um, We're still dealing with people and without customers, we don't have a business and customers are people. So we're going to talk about that and their behavioural self-awareness. Today's trailblazing show is brought to you by our friends at Eview Real Estate. Now, my first guest... And I couldn't do a show without having this person here holding my hand. He's a taking care of business regular. He's our resident business and corporate psychologist, Luke Ross. Good morning.
1: Morning, Jackie. How are you?
0: Very well. Oh, as I feel better that you're here. feel better that you're here and I have to watch that I don't get sort of self-conscious of the words that I use that you're not analysing me. We,
1: we, we already know that you weren't hugged enough as a child. Okay. That comes through loud and clear. <laughs> okay,
0: that's good. Now let's just clarify a little bit yep. of credentials with you. You're a corporate psychologist or yes. business psychologist, yep. social intelligence expert, yes. uh, and you help people and businesses perform at a high level. Is that an accurate summary?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's really, really, really good. It's 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 helping them with understanding their mindsets, and what they say and do in the workplace to help them perform at that higher level.
0: Okay. So in your opinion, and your yes. experience, what qualifies as a good leader?
1: Well, that's, that is a very, very big question. What we do know is one of the things that underpins really successful leadership, especially as you move further and further up the leadership hierarchy, is that level of self-awareness. That understanding of the impact of what your behavior is on others. Because what we know is as you move further and further up the, up the hierarchy, you actually start getting less and less feedback. So if you're not tapping into your ah, own course. sort of awareness, yeah. you can charge off in a direction and actually be quite ineffective and no one will actually tell you.
0: It's a sort of, we call the Michael Jackson theory.
1: Yeah, it's Michael Jackson theory or the Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah, you know, it's the Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah, but people a, get
0: almost too frightened to, to tell them the truth because they'll lose their job or they'll be impacted negatively.
1: A- absolutely. Giving feedback to someone who's seen you to you comes with consequences, yeah. good and bad.
0: Yeah. Okay, that's really good. Now, holding your hand, <laughs> <laughs> sitting next to you, is not only one of your friends. Yes but is uh, a man by the name of Ant Williams. Now, you might have heard his name in many different fields. He was a sports psychologist, and then he uh, centred his career uh, understanding and researching and coaching others on the topic of leadership. So he's gone into leadership consulting. He works with a blue chip client base and uh, his time is spent in the design and delivery of leadership programs throughout Asia Pacific and South Africa, but he's also a world leading free diving expert. Aunt Williams, good morning and welcome to Taking Care of Business.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: You've got so many strings into your bow. Do they, do they all integrate with, with what you do or do they sit separately to what you do?
2: One thing pretty much led to another. Uh, Starting off as a sports psychologist, I was fascinated by these athletes that did this incredible, you know, high risk sports that I was working with. And eventually I thought, I'm teaching them all of this stuff out of a textbook surely I should have a go myself. So I chose a dangerous sport, and I chose a sport called freediving, which is essentially going out into the ocean, seeing how far down you can go on a single breath of air, and I decided I would take it up as a sport.
0: And have you always been able to hold your breath for a long time? As a child, for instance? (laughs) I
2: was quite rubbish at it, actually, to begin with. I don't think I'm built at all well for freediving, but over the years that's changed. I can now hold my breath for uh, eight minutes.
0: Is that the longest in the world?
2: No, the longest in the world now is 11 minutes oh, okay. 20.
0: Wow. But you've got a world ranking in free diving. Yeah. For the
2: last 12 years, pretty much every year, I've been ranked somewhere in the top 10 or 15 in the world. Yes. My best ever is awesome. uh, world number three. I think yeah, at the moment I'm sitting three. around about number eight.
0: Okay. And is there, is it true that there are less people that free dive in the world that have climbed Everest?
2: Oh yeah, easily. So I think oh. there's been, 4,000 go to the summit of Everest. I think there's only been 30 of us that have been to 100 metres deep in the ocean.
0: That is, how amazing is that, Luke?
2: <laughs>
1: oh, it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. And, uh,
0: it just puts it in perspective how unusual and unique. And extraordinary, this sport is.
1: Oh, it is. And, and, and uh, one of the things I really like about Ant is he, he's, he's very self-effacing. He doesn't actually blow his trumpet that much, but what he's doing is quite extraordinary. You know, the, the psychological barriers he's pushing through, the physical barriers that he's pushing through, and then how he wraps that also back into his business life is quite fascinating what he does. It
0: is interesting because the other, another string to your bow is you run a speaker's bureau called Speaker Book.
2: That's right. Yeah. So it's (laughs) doing a few things at the moment, actually, but they're actually all intertwined. I love speaking. I love getting out and sharing people the insights that I've had from, you know, taking up a quite a dangerous sport and learning how to take more risk on myself around actually, you know, as a society, I think we've become progressively more risk adverse and, you know, just little things around like my kids play in a playground that has rubber surfaces and, you know, they ride helmets with the tiniest little scooters and a lot of sports for kids, they no longer keep score because they're afraid that a kid might experience failure, but it's from those very experiences that they learn, they grow, they develop. So I've built a, like I've really built a career around getting out and talk, te- te- teaching people about leadership but also teaching people about the the benefits of taking positive calculated risk.
0: Yeah, and also the coping mechanisms, when um, you talked about failure, that does teach you how to cope. Because when you grow up in the big Y world, that's a really key, mm. key element, isn't it Luke? For, for, oh, not in dealing in business, but just day-to-day life, how to cope.
1: Oh, a- a- absolutely. And, and the, the, the concept that Ant's referring to is failure in many ways and risk-taking in many ways is getting eradicated from, from the kids growing up. And that actually has, has a negative effect. And um, as, as you know, it's been a bit of time in the Army, and we used to see a number of young officer trainees come through into the Army, and that was the first time going into the Army when they're going through officer training. That's the first time they've ever been told they've failed. And they hadn't actually learnt how to cope with it. Mm. And then when you go into business and you really do have some major, major fails, yeah. as we all do, yeah. if you haven't learned those coping skills, it can absolutely derail your career professionally as well as derail you personally.
0: Yeah. I always like the, uh, the new term now, which has been sort of technology driven from, you know, companies like Google and Facebook is you have to fail to innovate. Mm. So they just go fail fast. You know, you, yeah, we know you're going to fail, but just can you hurry up and do it?
2: <laughs> yeah. But the irony is, is the more risky. Versus, you are it, the harder it becomes in business to to get an organization to change because the very premise of innovation is you have to you have to actually break something you have to think differently you have to be creative and with all of that there's risk attached
0: yeah it's interesting so where's the balance between planning and being strategic versus not doing it i suppose you just, know
1: yeah just taking taking yeah there, there is there is absolutely middle line um i was at ge for a while And GE was really renowned with regards to um, you know knowing the numbers and only ever doing something when you when you see the numbers. Um, And then GE went through a process of doing what's known as fast works, which is failing fast and 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 innovating on the spot. That was quite a cultural change for that organisation, and still going through that process. But there is absolutely a middle ground because and when when he talks, he talks about calculated risks. Yeah. Um, so it's not oh, risk avoidance; it's yeah. calculated yeah. risk. That's important very different point, thing. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And
0: it's interesting when you talk about free diving being dangerous. I saw you interviewed on the project was last week.
2: Yeah, they definitely painted me out to be a bit of a crazy risk taker. Yeah. <laughs> um, I go. I refer back to to Luke's position as it's got to be positive but calculated because yeah. that's the thing. And you'll find that most people that do dangerous or high-risk sports, they manage those risks so well. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I was with one of the most famous big wave surfers in the world. His name's Laird Hamilton. He, he's the inventor of this thing called tow in surfing where you drag someone behind a jet ski into enormous waves that you could never paddle into. And I said to him, you're just this incredible risk-taker. How do you do it? And he goes, I'm not a risk-taker. He goes, I manage my the risks that I take so well that I actually see them as... Not mundane, but I see them as very safe because I put in the right preparation and planning around it. And that's the same for, you know, any type of risk you take in organizations. It's got to be calculated. Um, And as long as it's driving you forward, it's got to be a positive thing.
0: Yeah, so your sport isn't dangerous if you do it properly.
2: Follow the rules, super safe. You um, break those rules, it can be life and death.
0: So how do you translate that or so we've touched on a little bit but translate your free diving and your sports psychology so your sports background and your uh, I suppose I can call it an elite sport because you've 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 achieved at elite level into working with blue chip clients so you're dealing with the C-suite and senior senior managers uh who can they relate to that or not like how do you then translate that information to help them
2: I think the main thing with leaders, especially the more senior you get, is that it really comes down to the quality of the conversations you're having with your people. And a great manager organizes and structures and plans things. But what an organization also needs from you is that leadership piece where you, you know, where you inspire people around, you know, a, a new way of doing things or about a, a common direction and you challenge, challenge people where they're not meeting your expectation by, By being out there and and, and having the conversations around performance that need to be held. So I think sometimes that's missing in organizations. is people that just are very good at having the right level of conversation with their people because sometimes that takes courage.
0: Okay, oh, that's so good. We've got so much more to talk about. And Luke, you'll hang around for the rest of the show? Yeah, it would be great. Mm. I hope so. I'm planning on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, listen, smarter, not harder. You're on Taking Care of Business on RWPFM. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about leadership. And uh, people think to be a leader, they have to write a book. So I thought, well, let's look at this angle to see... Do you have to write a book or not? Because there seems to be more and more and more books available from business people uh, and thought leaders. So I thought, let's have a, let's have a chat about this. So then I need to talk to a publisher. I need to talk to somebody who deals with these people, not, not authors and writers at this stage. Let's talk to someone from a publishing background. So we have the director of publishing here from Michael Hanrahan Publishing. We've actually got Michael Hanrahan himself in the studio. Good morning, Michael.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you here. Now, I was reading in prep for today that your father was a writer... So you grew up in a house overflowing with books, yes. and you've inherited his love of words and writing. Yes. Is this why you chose to work in publishing? It
3: definitely is. Yeah, I, from an earliest age, I can remember, I was interested in reading, writing. I was writing science fiction books when I was 12. Um, so yeah, it's something I've really? always been around and something I grew up with. So yeah. you're
0: still writing as well? Yes.
1: As publishing? Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay, so with the well, let's talk about the publishing side, because we've got coming up a bit later on today, we've actually got an author. Yes. We're going to talk to you, her and you about writing. Then, but let's talk about publishing because it's sort of a bit of a mysterious world. (laughs) You know, everyone talks about writing a book, but you know it's very difficult to get published. But is it easier to get published now than it used to be?
3: Um, No, it's actually it's been getting harder with the traditional publishers. We work with a lot of self-published authors, Um, so there's. Actually really no barriers to getting your book out there these days. Uh, self-publishing, it's, uh, it's basically we offer a fee for service. So people pay to produce their books. Um, so there's, there's no barriers. There's no, you know, people often call them gatekeepers. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, there's, it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. So
0: how do you calculate the cost of writing a
3: book? Uh, for the author or for?
0: Yeah. Or for both? Well, well,
3: for the author, the biggest cost is time. Right. Um so most of the authors I work with um they it takes them, say 3 to 6 months to write a book um and that's really the only investment I mean you just sit there at your laptop with your you know in your coffee shop and write your so book.
0: So if I came to you and said look so I I've, I'm writing a book Yep. Uh, I'm, uh, do I come and say, oh, this is my manuscript or my draft, or do I come to you with just the idea, I'm thinking I'm writing a book, what should I do?
3: We we encourage authors to contact us towards the end of their first draft. Okay. Um, and then what I often do, I often have a bit of a chat to them, discuss their book, and we can give them a little bit of guidance at that point. Um, then they usually go away and do another draft or two and then come back to us and then they're ready to go. So at the very end of the very first draft, they're often not ready.
0: And so, okay, so you do that, but what... Obviously there's a fee to be paid for your expertise. Yes. Yep. So how do you work out what fee that is? So
3: once they get past the writing stage, the cost, uh, the cost to produce the book with us, so they're paying for editing, layout, cover design, uh, printing, ebook, we, we cover the whole range. Uh, we, I, I have to see the manuscript to prepare a quote for the authors because some books, uh, if you're a really good writer and your book doesn't need much editing, your costs will be lower. Can you
0: give us a, just a ballpark? Yeah,
3: absolutely. Six to twelve thousand dollars is the average cost for our oh, that's authors. That's not too bad. Yeah i oh,
0: was so, thinking like 50000 or something. No, like no, already. not at all. Okay. Well, if, yeah,
3: There are companies out there that will rip you off and will charge yeah. you. I, I saw one recently that was trying to charge you $30,000. Right. Um, but yes, our averages are six dollars to $12,000. Um, if it's a smaller project and they don't need all of our services, it'll be you know around $6,000, $7,000. Do you also
0: like negotiate that. a percentage of sales or
3: not? No, not at all. We deliberately stay right away from that. Okay. Um, the whole point for us of self-publishing is that it's the author's responsibility to sell the book and use it in their business. Right. So we we offer, offer the production service. We have uh, marketing and publicity people that we refer our authors to, but um, whether an author sells five copies or f- fifty copies or fifty thousand copies, they don't owe us any more or less money. Is
0: this a growth area? What you're doing? Because It sounds unique. Is there many doing
3: it? Um, we we're the only company in Australia that we know of, and we've done our homework on this. That's offering specifically self-publishing for small oh, business because that's it. my publishing background. Yeah, um, there are. There's a growing number of, of self-publishing organisations out there. Uh, the larger publishers are doing fewer and fewer books, so there is. Is a growing number of self-publishing companies filling that need.
0: Are there more and more people that aren't writers or authors writing books? Is, is it a growing...
3: Yes, yeah, there definitely are. Um, it's, it's these days, especially with the area that we're in, a lot of the people we work with actually had never thought of writing a book to begin with. Um, and the idea only came to them to promote their business and, and, you know, we're talking about leadership being a leader in their field and that kind of thing. Um, so we sometimes w- regularly work with authors who n- it was never on their bucket list or anything like that. They didn't consider themselves a writer, never written a book, but, um, it's something they've realized that they can do.
0: So it's something that by, self-publishing or writing a book that entrepreneurs or business owners and experts feel that they can stand out in their field and is that something you've come across in your business life?
2: Oh, I agreed. I think every everyone who's wanting to position their brand in the market is wanting to become a thought leader. Yeah. Now, there's such a thirst for information out there that if you can write a book, that's a brilliant way to position yourself as an expert in a field. I just think that people are beginning to also look at other ways of getting that information out there like blogs and social media and we're consuming it in different ways now. I'm not sure like um Philosophically, I want to write a book. That's cool. I want to have it on a bookshelf. (laughs) But the reality is when I, when I buy a book at the bookstore, I read a chapter and then it goes on a shelf and collects dust.
0: Yeah, I know. You go to garage sales, always the biggest table's the books. So uh, is it, are people reading more or less books? And, and, look, I've got a, problem in a way that I know that our attention span, I've got lots of problems
1: with so that. I can see,
0: I can see Luke looking at me, um, is that. People,
1: We've currently rolled out the couch for yes, you to have a chat. thank you. Yes.
0: Afterwards, yeah, great. Uh, that uh, our attention span has been reduced by 40% over the last 15 years and that visual's becoming more popular. So then I think, okay, if that's, you know, it was good research and evidence, that then leads me to go, well, are people reading less?
3: Uh no people are still definitely reading a lot. Um bookscan tracked sales for 550,000 books in Australia last year. So oh. that's still a lot of people buying books. I love um, that Michael
0: has the stats yeah. to back that up. I love that. <laughs> I've got it I written love out. it.
3: Good on you. <laughs> the um books are certainly getting shorter though. Um we work on a lot of books that are 30 to 40,000 words whereas 10 years ago I was working on a lot of books that were 70, 80,000 words. Oh,
0: okay so the words have got a- less. A lot
3: of people call it the JFK to LAX book. So you want to be able to read it on a flight. <laughs> Okay <laughs> to LAX. So, and the whole idea is, especially for the authors we work with, uh, a lot of business people fly around a lot. They're you know tra- traveling from Melbourne to Sydney oh, okay. regularly, that yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. They, if you can get space in the airport bookstores, yeah. which is which is very hard to get, if they can get that space, that's an ideal market for for our types of authors.
0: So, okay, so going down my train of thought about attention span, yep. does that and less words. Yep. Does that then mean that the illustrators, there's more books with more pictures in it now than there used to be? Uh,
1: No, no, definitely (laughs) not.
3: No, actually, people think that uh, illustrated books are easier to write. They're actually a lot harder. So, Uh um, yeah, but no, there's not. Okay. But books are definitely getting shorter for sure.
0: Luke Ross, uh, as a business psychologist, yep. why do people write a book from a psychological perspective?
1: I, I find it I find it fascinating. Um, you know, if if we think about uh, what Michael was saying earlier about his history, you know, as a child he started writing science fiction, and that was probably for yourself, um, and it was and it was interesting to yourself, and it was an interesting process. Then as we become an adult, um, you know, the motivation for writing books is quite fascinating. Are, are people writing it for recognition? Are they writing it to be valued by other people or are they writing it from a purely commercial perspective of building their brand so they can sell more or be more effective or whatever it is um, so that motivation is is fascinating and I reckon there's a strong link between that motivation and how much the book will sell because many people actually write ah, books for themselves yes, um, and that's not necessarily what the consumers want to read.
0: Well, a lot of people create businesses for themselves. Yes. <laughs> it's, the same, it's the same principle that yeah. they're looking from the inside as opposed to the outside in.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, for me, if I was looking at someone writing a book, I, I, the first question is why do you want to write it? What do you want to achieve from writing that book? And let's make sure the motivation's solid and you're going to get out of it what you actually want to get out of it.
0: It's a big commitment, isn't it?
1: You huge
0: is it something you've thought about doing I,
1: I have um and then then i realized that's not where my talents lie um so you know, i decided to move on to on to something else get well, someone what else a, to write it yeah i was gonna say <laughs> yeah. that, i was gonna say there's, there's ghost writers. do you have ghost yeah. writers
0: michael
3: yeah i'm a ghost writer oh, <laughs> oh, yes, i have yes. done it in the past i don't do it anymore but yeah i have ghost written six or seven books so you can certainly solve that problem or, or just a good <laughs> editor you'll be fine yeah <laughs>
0: Can you actually explain what a ghostwriter is? Yes,
3: I can. Yeah, a ghostwriter, Um, the five or six books that I've ghostwritten, I can't tell you about because that's the whole point yeah. of it. I wrote it, um, but it's somebody else's idea. So it's someone, uh, someone exactly like Luke who says, I've got all these ideas I want to get out there, but I'm actually not that good a writer. So what would happen is Luke would hire me as a ghostwriter. And I would interview Luke. Um I'd sit there with my tape recorder and my laptop and make notes and then I'll go away and write something up and send it back to Luke. And then it's a pro ongoing process from there. So at the end of it, it'll come out and Luke will stand up there all nice and proud at his book launch and say, Hey, I wrote a really awesome book and I'll be standing in the corner going, No, you didn't. But um But it'll have his, it'll have
1: his name on it um, and, and nobody'll know the difference. And and that's and that's the interesting thing though, you know, before I go down that path, I'd need to personally look at it and go, Why am I writing it? Am I writing it for a you know, putting it bluntly, an ego stroke, yeah, uh, or am I writing it for a commercial business reason? Uh, and sometimes we need to move ourselves. We've all, everyone's got an ego, right? Sometimes we need to move ourselves away from our own ego to actually be more effective.
2: And I think that's an important point because there are so many books that have been written yep. but never read. Yeah.
1: Yes. You
2: know, we've written it, we've written it for our own sort of yep. perspective and our own motivations, but it was never a commercial proposition.
0: Yeah. And have you ever written a book or thought about writing one?
2: No, I'm going to get a, a phone number, I think, <laughs> for Michael. Yeah. I'm, I would he's, love to have a ghostwriter. That's He's already amazing. diving
0: in for his business yeah. cards. I love that. I love that. Yeah, actually yeah, go. very good. Pass your business done. card around. Yeah, because I think particularly your story and also linking with Speaker Book. Yeah, got some interesting because you've come across some really interesting people in your travels, I'd imagine. Well,
2: the thing is, in 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 the sport that I've done, and also in the leadership work, I've always been fascinated by the viewpoints of others. I like to learn off, you know, guys like Luke, a corporate psychologist, anyone I can meet that will help me work out how how can I do this thing better, Better, especially when it comes to diving deep in the ocean. Then, you know, now that I run Speakerbook, I've got to meet uh, several hundred of these phenomenal people. Yeah. And each of them probably has their own book. Um, but its I think at some stage, like most of us, we go, I'm sure I've got a book in me, <laughs> at <Yeah>. least one. <laughs> and that, that, boy, the world true. deserves to hear from me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you go and find a ghostwriter like Michael.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because I've had that view. But my book is, um, I, I want it to be fiction. I don't want it to be about business. I've got ideas about, you know, Marion Keyes style yep. stories because I love mm. the sort of her fun, just to use it as a creative expression, but I'll, I'll never do it yes. because, you know, but it's a, it's a nice thought and people like to talk about it. Michael, what are the trends with topics that are being written at the moment? Is it, is it, is it a strong, fiction or non-fiction and is there any particular industries
3: um well there's definitely uh there's a a growth in the business publishing area there is yeah Mm -hmm. there is um it's uh it's it is becoming a business card on steroids um it's often called that so um (laughs) so um yeah we um i I, you know, six seven years ago, we we self published maybe one or two of these books. I was just a freelance editor then. We weren't running this side of the business. Um, but uh, now, since we started doing this, we're doing thirty odd uh, business books a year. So um, yeah, it's definitely a growing area. Um, yeah, fiction, uh, non fiction books are selling. They're usually about fifty to sixty percent of the market compared to fiction, and that's usually fairly stable over the years. Is there any
0: particular topic in business that's popular? Um,
3: we, we do a lot of books, work with a lot of authors who are business coaches, that kind of thing. Uh, A lot of self-help books. There's always a big market for self-help books. Um, so, but we, we've worked on, uh, pretty much any topic you can think of. I've worked on it over the years. People sometimes think I've got a really obscure business. I can't write a book on it, but, uh, we recently did a, uh, worked with an author who'd written a book about marketing practices just for dentists. So it was called fully (laughs) booked. Fantastic book she that's got. good yeah, yeah, she. People think that I, I'm too niche, and and you mm. you you get your market does get smaller with a niche to book, but then more people in that market buy it, and so yeah.
0: People go onto your website, which is what
3: mhpublishing.com.au.
0: Yep, there's a seven-step self-publishing system book that you have did you write that? Yes, I did. Yes, right. and there's also another one called Stand Out. Oh no, that's that's it. That's, oh, it's the same that's one. That, yeah. Oh, okay, so Stand Out, <laughs> I've got it here. Yes. And it has, oh, seven steps. So people can buy this. So this is effectively the coffee table book about coffee tables. Yes, absolutely Seinfeld, it is. Right. Yep, yep. Okay, it's so it's the, the book, book about how, how to, to write a, a book. book. <laughs> Excellent. So people can find that on your website. <laughs> yes,
3: they can. Yep. It's also on Amazon in bookstores. Cool. We'll um, put a link to yeah. our
0: Facebook page on that as well. Yep. Michael Henrehan, great topic. Really fascinating. And, uh, will you, do you want to stick around for the rest of the show? Absolutely. We're about to talk to an author who has written a business book Uh, But she's also a leadership specialist, so we're tying it into leadership. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about leadership, but we're also about to talk to a lady writer. Hence, that was Dire Straits, who is an executive team coach and does a lot of work with uh, leadership teams. And she's written a book about leadership. Uh, it, she's a game changer, and now she can call herself as herself an author. Susie Johnston, welcome to Taking Care of Business.
4: Thanks, Jackie. Great to be here.
0: Good to have you here.
4: I like that it says,
0: Susie wants to change the world one business at a time. Yes. I like it's that. Too. Is true. I,
4: I was born with a passion for business. Really? How? Yeah I, Well, I'm third-generation entrepreneur. Oh, really? My grandmother took over the family business when my grandfather died. I think it was early 1930s. What sort of business was it? Was it was a bakery. Oh. And they, it was Jealous Bakeries in Hugh. And then they went on to list... The company and bought another 11 companies and 11 bakeries. And then my grandfather died a few years later. So my grandmother was a true entrepreneur. She had to look after all of the owners of all of those bakeries and all of their families. And she was very driven. My father was taken out of school to do, you know, the bread run, the horse and carts and and his big brother mentored him through the business as well. And it was quite an extraordinary story. And I, I guess... The family stories live on through me. Well, I can see that and I can see your face light
0: up and the passion. Mm. So it really has impacted you incredibly, that, that
4: yeah. experience as a child. Absolutely. And, you know, Sunday lunch was always really interesting because it was the only time the family ever got together as an extended family because everyone was so involved in business. So that was where a lot of storytelling went on so from that how did you then come into what you're doing now with this so so you're consulting effectively yeah so i work with business owners and their executive teams and Mm. i help them to understand what's holding them and their businesses back i think one of the biggest challenges that businesses face as we've seen today in the newspaper um, and yesterday it seems to be happening every day It's the vulnerability within the executive team to actually have the really hard conversations about what's holding the business back, actually leaving the ego at the door and making things happen. So this book that you've written, why did you write it? Well, I was listening to the interview earlier and, (laughs) you know, it's really interesting. I I guess I've got a a slightly different reason. It's been 10 years in the making, um, three years of writing, uh, two two years of editing, five kilos oh. that I just can't seem to to lose, yeah. <laughs> um, and th- it was always in me. I've always loved writing. I, I journal every day, and every exec team that I'm with, and Jackie, this goes without saying. I walk out of the executive team meeting, and I just kick myself, thinking, "Got to get that book out," because the themes that I see in every team whether it's a startup business through to a global corporation the themes are the same Uh it's always about communication it's always about behavior and for me it was if only I could get these words out to the world people could actually take action on a lot of these ideas and their life would be a little bit easier so I'm starting to see the benefits of that finally you know I'm getting emails from people who've implemented ideas, they've got the book tagged on their desk, they're sharing information as a team and I'm figuring well this is great because I don't actually have to do the work, the work can happen on its own if people pick up my book. Now the book is called I Am the Problem, Mm -hmm. where did you come up with that title? Well one of my colleagues, Yoli, did the first round edits and he was in a boardroom talking about the book and one of the Managing Director, I guess he might have been, said it's a very gutsy consultant that would come in here and tell me that I am the problem. And (laughs) Yoli told me that story and I went, oh, my God, I am the problem. And then I went through a phase saying, is that too harsh? Michael, you would relate to this. Should it be am I the problem? But it just wasn't strong enough. So it became I am the problem. And as you can see, it is in bold type. It's a very gutsy person that reads that on their aeroplane flight from Melbourne to Sydney. <laughs> um, but I, I love it because this is where the conversation has to begin. It has to begin with the executive team owning all the issues that are going on. Or the business owner. Yeah. So so it does come from the top. You know, there's always that saying. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Fish rots from the head. Yes, now I had that here.
0: Fish fish rots mm. from the head. And when it rots, that saying. it stinks up the whole place. I wrote that down. I've only read a, a, a third of it. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah. I didn't quite get to the end, but I will, I will endeavour to read to the end when I have Thanks, a bit Jackie. more time. No, I'm, I'm enjoying. I'm not doing it. I'll, well, I started reading it because I was interviewing you. I thought oh, I can't not interview someone about a book I haven't read. <laughs> and I hate it when that happens. Yeah. So I started it and then I, yeah, but I will finish it. But there was some real, key elements at the beginning like I think did you start the book going I'm going to hit the reader between the eyes right mm-hmm. from the beginning
4: yeah it's that's taken... sort of how I felt going whoa this is yeah <laughs> it's taken 10 years to hit the reader between the eyes I, I guess I went through a phase with the book where there was certain things that were really important and as you can see I mean it's 70,000 words and there's there's a lot of text there but I, w- I really wanted it to be easy for people to pick up and read and relate to. So a lot of the effort has gone into the readability of the text. So you can pick it up in any chapter with any challenge that you're facing and have some strategies yeah. to immediately address I those like that. challenges. Yeah, I like that. So the fish rots from the head. Yeah. It does stink up the whole place. Unfortunately, the fish doesn't know that it has a head that's stinking up the place. And a lot of people do not have the courage or the wherewithal to actually provide something for it. The, the head of the company with the feedback. There was some a uh, couple of other things. The sink or swim thinking
0: uh, that we are faced with 50,000 decisions a day. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. And I thought to myself, Luke Ross, who's our business psychologist and resident expert, um, and you mention it too about repetition compulsion. Is, yep. What's what's going on there? Why 50,000 decisions a day?
1: Well, because there's just uh, things, what we know in the workplace now is, um, you know, things are happening far more rapidly because of the, the changes in technology and that sort of thing. So, so therefore there's more decisions more rapidly, uh, more frequently during the day. And so we see a lot of decision fatigue and then what happens is people then just rely on what's a similar situation where I've made a similar decision in the past, I'm just going to whack that, to, that decision into it and we don't take the time to do the analysis and work out what's actually required. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why we see that sort of re- repetition of behaviour because the brain is designed to repeat behaviour and find easiest ways of doing things because that's the way we function, that's the way we survive and that's becoming a bit of a problem in business.
4: Ah, oh, that's, that's fascinating, Susie. So you've come across that. Oh yes. All the time. A- absolutely. And I think we have another challenge as well within the executive team where we want to get along with each other. You know, we want to collaborate. We may not necessarily agree with the status quo. It takes a very courageous voice. I think it was the chairman of APRA who said it takes a very courageous person to exercise their feelings around what's going on in the organisation and choose to do things differently. And the longer that you are on the board, the easier it is to comply. I think yeah. that's a really big challenge. I think that's the pickle that we're in right now. It's the reason that 8,000 people may be losing their jobs. Yeah, but that's where the consultants, the uh,
0: area of consultancy are growing
4: because the smart ones
0: are realising... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable with the status quo, but I, but part of me also sees that something has to change. Let's get an independent voice, yeah. a fresh pair of eyes, a fresh brain in, yes. and, uh, they can be the bad cop with, with minimal sort of consequences.
4: Yeah. The thing that, re- sorry, the thing that makes me really angry about all of this is that unfortunately the people that really need to have a voice, to have a say, to make a decision, that want to have a voice and make a difference, are always the quietest voices. So, the people that are actually affected by a lot of these really big corporate decisions are the mums and dads. What were you going to say? Luke? Well,
1: yeah, this, this acquies- acquiescence thing or the, the desire just to say yes, you know, going along to get along. Um, we, we see that not just at senior leadership, we see, see that through an entire organisation. And it's really interesting with regards to the diversity work that's coming down. So, diversity sometimes gets defined primarily is gender diversity, but there's a lot more to diversity than that. And, and my personal view is that um, cognitive diversity and behavioral diversity is actually the most important thing because you can bring in certain gender um, counts, you can bring in certain demographic counts to satisfy diversity um, pieces. But if your culture of your organization only accepts certain types of thinking and certain types of behavior, what actually happens is that person either assimilates Or they leave, which is why we get Mm -hmm. this acquiescence, this, you know, saying yes, getting to, to go along. Um, so, so I think we can do a lot more work around, um, culturally what's our diversity in thinking and what's our diversity in behaviour and therefore we'll get start getting different outcomes.
0: I found it interesting, Susie, that you actually have a slogan and uh, I'm, I'm in the world of branding, so I, I think everyone is, a, is their own brand, particularly in business, and everyone should have a mantra or a slogan. Mm. So I was very pleased to say, oh, Susie's got her own slogan, it d- d- does, and it is, everything is personal. Yeah, And that's not dissimilar mm. to what your point is, Luke.
1: Yeah, well, we're, we're all humans. We all have the ego needs of, you know, results or recognition or value or belonging, whatever it is. You know, there's a thousand models out there. Um, but, yeah, we, we are all human and it's really important to understand that it's humans that make up organizations.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, which is why where we started today's show yeah. was yeah. talking about people, not technology. Yeah. Susie, we just need to take a quick break. Will you hang around till the end yeah. of the
4: show? I'd love to. Oh, yes, great! Jackie. It's
0: really good having you in here. The energy's—it's oh, it's pumping in here. It's very exciting. We're talking about leadership, and you're listening to Taking Care of Business here on Ardor PFM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about leadership, and that was "Follow the Leader" by Winston and Yandel. And I'm here with four outstanding guests today. And I'm going to speak to each of them now because I want to wrap up our concept of leadership. And I'm going to start with Luke Ross, who's the seasoned professional here.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Jackie. (laughs) That's
0: all right. (laughs) So the concept of leadership is, it's fascinating because business is going through unprecedented change as we've talked, we've talked about that a lot. And so the concept of leadership has had to change as part of that. So have you, what changes have you seen?
1: well if if i go back to you know when I, when i was first you know studying leadership and things like that um and look at the early research the really the research really focused on what is an effective leader let's find the model of an effective leader um and if we fast forward to where we are today organizations are so different and they're so different with regards to their life cycle and evolution as an organization that the leader that is effective today might not be the same leader that is effective tomorrow in that same organization so what we're seeing with leadership really is what is the leadership that is required in this organization at this time with these people. That's the big change I'm really seeing. That adaptive leadership concept is coming through.
0: Okay. And I see you nodding. Uh you agree with that, or have you got something to add?
2: Well no, I do agree with that point. If you look at what's happening on a, on the macroeconomic climate, you know, things are it's the age of disruption. Where things that businesses are coming and going and shifting so fast that companies need to be far more agile and they need leaders who can embrace change. So where we might have rewarded and reinforced people for being good managers who kept things stable and and drove structure and good process. We now need those same people to go out and to change things and to, to look around for and see how, how the organization needs to evolve and to be at the forefront of that and to demand different ways of thinking and being of the people around them. And they themselves need to become more self-aware as leaders to actually accept the fact, as Luke puts it, I need to be adaptive. I need to not rely on the old ways of thinking and those fixed ways of approaching problems because the new the new market, the new way of doing business, is so complex, and the challenges are so so uh, so vast that I need a new way of approaching them.
0: Oh, that's insightful, Michael Hanrahan. Can
3: I just agree with that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, in your world, you know, in the in the world of publishing, um, you know, you and you would have seen a lot of change because yeah. you've been, you know, you, I should have also said at the beginning, you've worked for some big publishing houses. Uh, in the past. So you've gone from working in big business in the world of publishing uh, and to creating your own business and now self-publishing and being a writer as well. Yeah. Uh, what changes have you seen in business?
3: Um, oh, I think uh, I think you have to be much more be yourself. I think it's very important. I think the whole command thing of being the boss up the top and telling everybody what to do is completely outdated. Um, I find that uh, I just try and deal with our clients just completely honestly and just you know there's no um, you know like take away the structures and that kind of thing. Um, just people want to deal with people these days I think.
0: So it's more collaborative.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: As opposed to master servant. Yes. But there's still some dictators around, isn't there?
3: Yeah, there is. Yeah, you still run them occasionally. I'm not sure how well they do these <laughs> Susie days. Susie nodding, yeah. nodding fiercely.
0: You know? Yeah, I
3: think, I don't think people like working like that these days. So. Well,
0: no. well, it's interesting with the generation Y that's in the workplace now and Gen Z that's coming through that there is a bit of a skill shortage or, or there is a lot of businesses now are looking to be an employer of choice because they're wanting to attract real really good talent because there's not as much around as there used to be in, in our generation, Gen X and X generation and the baby boomers. Mm-hmm. So they're okay, we need to make ourselves more attractive for people to come and work for us. Have you found that Susie?
4: Your- oh, yes. I, I think as Michael said, I mean, we've got some real challenges now because the command and control no longer works and we need to engage young people in a way that's meaningful for them. So what's meaningful for them is what is the difference that the organisation is making to the planet? What is the difference difference, that that the organisation is making to the future of society? So we've got to now talk about business endurance. We actually have to change the conversation. We have to talk 50 years out, not about the next quarter, not about return on investment. I mean, front-page news today, share price was $6 in 2009. It's 2.2 cents today. Administrators are moving in. I think we really need to change the status quo. So we do need to be agile. We do need to be flexible. And the most important thing to me in leadership is self-awareness. You've got to be self-aware enough to actually ask for feedback on how you are performing as a leader. If you can't do that, Get out of the boardroom, or get out of the exact. It's a common theme: is awareness, self-awareness. It is,
1: and, and, and interestingly, what's what's coming through in some of the new leadership models is this concept of mindfulness, leadership mindfulness, mm. um, and and it's talking about a balance between. Um, profit or return on investment, people and planet. Cause you can't have one without the other. You absolutely have to have return on investment to be able to do good things for the planet. But it's a triangle that's balanced and we don't want to go too far the other way where it's just, it's just planet, it's just planet because we actually won't achieve it. It's It's got to be balanced.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Susie, just quickly, there was a bit in your book about the profit share idea Mm -hmm. and you gave the example of you went to the team and you said, okay, what's one of your dreams? And someone said, I wanted a pair of um, Jimmy Choo shoes or something like that. Yes, that's true. Yeah, or a a holiday to Fiji. That's going to be my goal. And they could could see by their contribution to their role that is going to – Oh, sorry, their role, the contribution to the overall profit yes, margin or, in- or revenue of the company and, how, and then how that then would then get translated back to them. Can you just very quickly explain, I haven't explained that very well, can you very <laughs> quickly explain what you mean by that? Because I yes, thought that was well, a really
4: good example. You know, successful strategy, I like to keep things so simple as you would have read in the book. And there are three elements to me that make a strategy successful. The first is purpose. Um, The second is alignment and the the third is people. And and in the alignment piece is, is process. And I think that's where a lot of us get it wrong because you think, you know, you get people to come into work, they're going to do a really good job and that's going to be great for the company. However, leadership is the ability to get things done through others, but for their reasons. And if you can tap into why people choose to be there and if it is as simple as a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes, I saw them in the window as I was walking past. I'd love the opportunity to have them. And you start to talk about where the companies are going and how they could benefit in the process of the business being successful, not about... retention not about things that people can't measure and not fear
0: I'm not I'm gonna lose my job it's more about incentivizing. it's it's exciting let's
4: talk about the future let's talk about endurance have you got a pearl of wisdom you'd like to impart my pearl of wisdom would be and, and I have this Um, above the girl I have two daughters above their bed Um, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind it's a Dr. Zeus quote
0: I love it love it
4: Susie Johnson thank you so much for being Part of taking care of business and coming
0: into the studio—it's always a much, a much better conversation when we can actually see people yeah, face to face as opposed over here. the phone. Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Michael Henrahan, Have you got a little pearl of wisdom you'd like to leave us with?
3: Um, yeah, mine would be just simple—just get out there and have a go. That's yeah. one thing I've yeah, really learned in business: it. don't sit around and think about it, wondering what's going to happen. Yeah, just um, get on with it. Get out there, like we we're talking about failing yeah. before. Get out there and fail—that's fine. Go and fix it up and learn what you did wrong.
0: Fantastic. Continue handing out those business cards, Michael Henry. Right. Thank you very much for. Coming coming into the studio today and being a key part of our program. Aunt Williams, have you got, oh, you will have so many pearls of wisdom. (laughs) Can you just pick one and share it with us?
2: Oh, mine's actually similar to Michael. I think leadership can be so rewarding and anyone can do it. You just, like, don't wait to be tapped on the shoulder to go and lead um, at the school, at your church, in business, in your community. Just get out and do it. You don't have to be the world's best leader to get out there and have a go with it.
0: Good on you. Aunt Williams, where's your next uh, free di- free diving? What's what's happening there? I, f- I find this park really fascinating.
2: The next free dive for me is going to be a bit of an interesting one. So I'm of course I a- knew
1: it would be <laughs> a little different
2: yeah. from the norm. is I'm launching an expedition to go to the North Pole, and we'll take a small crew there. And the goal is to cut a hole under in, in the ice each day, and to try to become the deepest man under the ice.
0: Oh, <laughs> awesome! Awesome. And when's that? When's that going to be? Uh,
2: look, yeah, if I get enough crazy partners together, I'll do yeah. it next year in April. There's only one month of the year where you can actually fly into right. within sixty kilometres of the North Pole. Yeah, um, only month, one month of the year where they have a runway. Um, so I'll either do it April of next year or April 2018.
0: Oh, well, we'll keep up to date with that. Aunt Williams has been a delight. Finally, finally, finally. got you into the studio. It's been great. We'll have <laughs> great to get to you here. back again. Luke Ross has always been a delight. Would you like to leave us with something to think about?
1: Well, it's a bit hard to follow, and You know, yeah, I feel about I as deep as a puddle now. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the, the bigger one for me is um, don't lead in the way that you want to be led. Lead in the way that they want to be led.
0: Cool. I like that. that's a really nice way to finish. Again, thank you to our four guests today. We hope you've heard lots of advice and inspiration today. Don't forget our Facebook page. We'll have links to all topics discussed today and podcasts on the PFM website. We look forward to your company next Friday at 11am. In the meantime, keep leading and taking care of your business.